0: Welcome to Export the Sound. I'm your host, Ben Ma. My guest today is Foza Fawaneni, a Lagos-based music lawyer, business executive, and talent manager working in the West African music industry for over a decade. She is truly a multifaceted player from both the law and the business side, working licensing deals with international entities like the NFL and the Ellen Show, while also developing up-and-coming talent like P Prime, Tempo, and Gabaski with the SARS Academy. Um, Foza, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here today. I was wondering if you could briefly introduce yourself and the many incredible music initiatives that you've led.
1: Good, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Foza Fawemi I am an entertainment lawyer by training from Nigeria. Basically, my what I do is I basically create, you know, embark on initiatives that create sustainable wealth for creatives in Africa. So anything that involves me creating structures and platforms to see that to see that African creatives are able to make money but also make money sustainably is what I'm basically involved in. Some initiatives we have the SAS Academy, which is a which is a non-profit organization across Africa. We have Greenlight Music Publishing, which was started like five years ago. It's a publishing company that is basically focused on 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 producer, composers, and helping them with their publishing. I'm also very involved in Audio Girl Africa. It's a non- non-profit organization that is focused on training women that in everything that has to do with sound. So audio engineering, music production. I'm involved in Skripul Academy. It's also a producer production camp digitally that helps artists to, sorry, that helps producers, artists, and live members to be able to grow their career. So, and I co-founded a company called Digital Music Commerce and Exchange Limited that is focused on intellectual property valuation, exploitation, management, and administration in sub-Saharan Africa. So basically, that's a bit of profile and introduction of what I do or what I've done in the industry.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for that summary. And Obviously, that runs the gamut of everything from from legal to a nonprofit, as well as talent development. Really, just across the board. Very impressive work. And that leads me to my next question, which is: How did you originally get involved in the music industry? When did you know that this was the impact that you wanted to have with your career?
1: So, I mean, I just recently put out a memoir called "So Far So Forza and basically just journals my life as a lawyer and as a lawyer and as a person in the entertainment industry in Africa, basically. So what we what started it off for me was I love music generally as a as a person. I love the arts as a person, but I don't necessarily know how to do you know those things. So basically, I, I can only A and R, you know, I can't write music. So that passion, and, you know, I come from a long family of, of activism and lawyers, and I just kind of combined that and got to where I was. So I started this at the age of 17. I think at 17, I was in my third year in university, and I started managing artists, and kind of like that's how I got into the industry, basically.
0: Wow, that's incredible. From the age of 17, so young, and that also explains how you've accomplished so much in, in just a short time. I'd like to start our interview today on music law, which I know is one of your many strengths. And specifically, I would like to ask about working licensing deals with big international entities like you've worked with Coldplay, the NFL. Could you dive into an example of some of the challenges you've run into and what you did to overcome them?
1: So... You know, in, in terms of uh, in terms of working with music rights out of Africa, one of our biggest problem is um, metadata, because we're largely a continent that, you know, music for us is very cultural as opposed to business, right? So a lot of it is done based on relationships, based on friendship. So we struggle a bit with, with proper data. So coming into a digital era where metadata is key, we struggle a bit, you know, in terms of getting that. But generally one of the things that like for example the SARS Academy and the publishing company we set up tried to fix was education from the ground up. Just educating artists to make them understand the the use of split sheets, contracts. We started that journey about seven years ago and it's a lot more better now. Like a lot lot better, more artists are educated, more business people are educated on the on the the need for paperwork. You know, because this this translates to how they are being valued as a company or you know, valued as a, as a creative in the industry. So yeah, most of the solutions are being solved from foundational education training.
0: Gotcha. Could you give me an example of some of the work that you've done affecting one of the artists you've worked with? For example, any of your artists at the SARS Academy, how have they benefited from the kinds of initiatives that you've undertaken?
1: So from the from the SARS Academy, we have we have success stories like the producer called Tempo, Tempo produced one of the biggest Afrobeat records, you know, called Love One Insane. Oh, we have another producer called prime who worked has worked on projects for whiskey and we have like you know one of the foremost female producer in the country duni who has worked with several other types of you know artists and whatnot and we have Saz himself the, one of the most prolific Afrobeats producer out of out of Nigeria and Africa, so basically all of them understand what it is to sign split sheets, what it is to sign commercial terms. So it's easier for them to engage in in international deals, knowing fully well that they are protected and you know they are highly valued. So that's a testament of kind of like what this initiative has done.
0: And your work with Audio Girl. Is that also on the rights management and licensing side, or is that more on the music production side, or does it encompass all of those skills?
1: It's more on the music production and audio engineering side, but mm. specifically focused on, on women. That we, because we, you know, I'm I'm a woman and I've benefited basically from women, you know, mentorship in the industry. So it's. C the CSR for me basically is to put on more young women you know that are interested in all the parts of audio engineering not just music production so your mixing engineers your sound engineers and, and we have a healthy number of, of of women that are very you know, excited about this we started this last year or two years ago and we've seen i think we've done about four different types of projects currently there's a there's a production camp that is is running in partnership with Maven, and we're currently in the middle of like some fundraising to be able to sponsor women to do to have like all of their engineering courses from South Africa and whatnot. So it's basically just focused on teaching them the business side and the creative part of it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I was wondering. What are some of the challenges that you feel like female producers and up and coming artists face in West Africa, or I guess more broadly on the African continent? What are some of the main motivations for starting Audio Girl and the specific solutions that they try and come up with for those challenges?
1: So generally for artists is access to finance, stable financing. We largely come from private investor situation in in Africa. So it's just People that are passionate just put some of their money in. And most of the type of money you see as initial capital only suffices for independent, what you would typically see in the Western world as an independent label. So there's a debt to financial access for, stable financial access for African artists in general. For Audio Girl, is basically women. Women don't have enough platforms to showcase. So the little platform you, you, you see, you are in, women generally have to work times 10 to prove themselves for anything. So there's a platform problem for women to, to be able to showcase because once you come into the room, there's, there's kind of like an automatic belief that you, are, you can only function as a co-producer, not the main producer or a co- or, or someone's intern or apprentice. You know? So it's basically just platforming. For women is is basically platforming. So in every ten music investments you see, nine goes to men and one goes to a woman. And that one that goes to a woman, there's a lot of complaints because uh, naturally women are very detailed. And there's a lot of wishy washy in the industry that you know anything can get through. But you know, working with a woman is more detailed and more patient type of working. Most men because it's a male dominated industry. They, they tend to always complain. Then they come, come up with the excuse of, oh, women are difficult to manage. Mm, I, most of the time, I just say that women are just more detailed, you know, are more perfectionist than mediocrity. So, yeah.
0: Right, yeah. Those kinds of generalizations are, I feel like, a, a story we hear far too often. And I'm really glad that Audio Girl, at least, is trying to empower women to break through that. Are there any standout examples of, of artists, like female artists, either that you've worked with, or even if you haven't worked with them, like really great examples of women breaking the barrier in West African music industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, we, we always have interactions, but not directly working. Yemi Aladi has done a fantastic job in showing how to position yourself as an artist outside of your own base. So she she does a fantastic job showing up outside of Africa and in Europe. You have Tiwa Savage that is fantastic in terms of pop and breaking barriers for women, you know, in the pop industry. You have women that you have women that are doing extremely well in terms of like you know we, in, the, in the olden days we had women like Oyeka Weno, you know. We had women like Eddie, Edna, Ogoli. Now, recently, you're having the Thames, you're having the Aria Star, you're having Fave, you know, more pop, you know, women coming up and springing up. You also have women that are diversifying into like, you know, the jazz, the blues, the opera, the R&B and doing extremely well. You have Simi that is doing extremely well in songwriting and mixing and mastering and and production. so basically it's like the more platform you give the more you see women showing up in their full capacity and potential so
0: yeah wow that was like a really who's who list those are some really great examples and i especially love that you brought up some of the even more international known Afrobeat stars like Tiwa Savage. And I guess that's a good transition into one thing that I know we talked about briefly before when we met in the Water and Music podcast and and lecture series was about how Nigerian artists tend, in your opinion, tend to be very effective at promoting internationally because of diaspora communities. I was wondering if you could tell me some more, some of those thoughts of, of how Nigerian artists can be successful in exporting their sound internationally.
1: I mean, from experience and working with different artists that are that are doing so well internationally, basically it's just basically knowing how to segment your your team in Nigeria that is functioning, in the UK that is functioning, in the US that is functioning. And basically it's knowing how to, to you know the best of team and having a control base for that team, those teams to function. So, you know, the basic formation of a team, you have the manager, you have the booking agent, and you have the PR, right? So the the, the main business manager and personal manager comes from the home base, which is if you're from Nigeria, Nigeria, if you're from Ghana, Ghana, or, you know, most people have artists that they've, uh, managers have been working with since the beginning. So the, the core base, you know, starts out and now begins to bring in people on separate types of agreements you know to to function so you see an artist that has like multiple teams across right and that's the best way you can get the best out of you know any any continent or 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 country you go to, because each each country is peculiar the way you promote music in nigeria is not necessarily the way you promote in ghana it's not necessarily the way you promote in the uk so yeah
0: yeah. How would an artist go about forming these kind of international teams in new markets, especially?
1: So from experience, it's just basically when, when the artist has the opportunity to, to travel, lawyers like myself, I do a lot of due diligence on, on a lot of people. And also because I have a, a, a wide network of artists I work with, I've interacted with people, you know, from, from different places. So it's easy for me to speak to from from a network point of view to tell an artist you know so a lot of my 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 artists come and say oh have you seen this person have you worked with this person you know how is this character of this person or they come to me and say oh i'm looking for someone in europe do you have any suggestions i reach out to my contact they have meetings and they just basically see if they, if they you know they work together so there's no hard and fast rule mm-hmm. you know some people will reach out to you you reach out to people and it's mostly based on portfolio like, what have you done? How are how you able to interact with, you know, African artists or the African audience? Or how were you able to expand it? And it also depends on what you're looking for as an artist or a team. You know, there's some people that go out and they're like, oh, I don't want to appeal to the African audience only. I want to appeal to, you know, the, the foreign audience in that community. Or I only want to appeal to the African audience there. Or I just only want to appeal to the foreign audience there. So it basically depends on your vision or what you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Your network is your net worth, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Are there any standout examples of artists that have come from West Africa and you think have done a really good job team building and using those teams to expand internationally?
1: Uh, Wanda Banton is a great example in, in Europe. You have, Donna has done a great job with, uh, I think David also has done a great job uh, across Africa and also, you know, in Africa and also in the UK and the US. So yeah, those are examples.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Hmm. And it's also interesting that you, you mentioned like different intentions for different artists, ones who want to appeal to African audiences and they kind of shape their persona and their efforts around that versus ones who want to really go international. And we've seen some really big examples, WizKid, Burna, like, you name it. What do you think is a major difference besides just the, the way that they, you know, for example, you're going to have a team in Ghana, in Nigeria, et cetera, if you want to do well in West Africa. You're going to have a team in the UK if you want to do well in the UK. But besides that, what are the major differences that an artist might choose to make if they want to appeal to an international audience, say, European audience or, or a Western audience, versus trying to appeal broadly to the African continent.
1: So I think, so. for example, in the US, right, there's a lot of regional radio stations, right, as opposed to a national. So you can see, like, you, you see an NBA young boy having, like, millions of sub- subscribers digitally, and it's probably popular only in, in East Coast or the West Coast or whatever it is. Right. In Nigeria, it's like your mainstream is once you break into a certain part which is called Lagos, you're kind of like you're popular, you know, to a certain extent. You're guaranteed like seventy percent popularity across the nation. Right. So you have to choose as an artist do you want to be a digital artist in this region or do you want to be a mainstream artist or do you want to you know, and also depends on the genre. Like for example, Thames is not a typical Afrobeats. You know, star. She's she's more of the R and B and pop. You know, so it's like, what what part are you choosing in terms of do you want to be digital? Do you want to be you know mainstream radio? So like those dynamics and, and nuances for each for each region comes into play for you to understand. You know, like for example, if you go to to so Kenya for example, you know that you have to go to Nairobi and Mombasa. Those are the two places that you need to tackle. As opposed to going to all the provinces in kenya same thing if you come to nigeria you know it's only lagos once you conquer lagos you have 17 to 80 percent of of the of the country covered then you do lagos potakot abuja and Enubu. you have like you know the whole of nigeria in your palms so that's why you need the the teams on ground to be able to advise you know according to the vision that you have so and and that's kind of like how it works so like for example i have artists that are looking to break into the us this year they've had successes in africa in europe and in in nigeria now we're going into the u.s fresh as like new artists right and doing all the college radios and doing all the the internet radios before we get to like the mainstream radio you know because one there's also a budget problem we're mostly independent you can't do what like uh, universal Sony would do in terms of like putting artists on on the on radio and whatnot so yeah
0: yeah it sounds like strategy is super important and picking your cities picking your battles picking your level of platform obviously you can't go straight to the majors if you have no name thank you for sharing that insight as you were talking about this last question actually a really pressing one popped into my head which is when we talk about artists going international, I think there's an often a default assumption that an artist is trying to go big in Europe, the UK, or the US. And a lot of the times that makes sense just because a lot of money is there. But I was wondering if there are any, ex- any examples of artists from the African continent or from West Africa that are going for an international strategy that maybe also includes Asia or like South Asia Latin America, other other regions of, of the world.
1: So CK and Wana's strategy was quite direct in terms of India. There was a, a lot of focus on India, North Africa, and Latin America. So if you if you check his last his last album, you'd see like there were very select features that spoke to those regions. And there's there's a heavy you know tour presence in those regions for CK at the moment. So CK is one of the artists that have that strategy unlocked in terms of like exploring, you know, those regions that were mentioned. Rema also, and you can see that Rema, you know, collaborated with with Selena Gomez to, you know, amplify the record countdown that already sounded like what a Latin American audience would enjoy and also like an Indian audience would enjoy. So yeah, those are like strategies that have been employed, but those two, those two artists are backed, you know, by major labels. So yeah, it's it's a strategy that is very executable with a a proper budget.
0: Right. Yeah. It takes a lot of resources. Calm down by Rema. Actually, I, I, I remember looking, I think Billboard launched their first ever Middle East, North Africa region charts a few months ago and Calm Down was the, the first number one on those charts. So that has really paid off for Rema. For when you talk about some of the features on CK's album or some of the features of Calm Down that appeal more to an, a South Asian continent or East Asian continent audience, what are some of those features?
1: So if you check Sad Romance, I think you have features like the Maria Andrade, the Ronishia feature, My- yeah like yeah especially with the female the female features, you know they speak so much to that region and what they're trying to do with that region, and I think if you check on the billboard, you can see that it's slowly you know picking up momentum in 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 those regions. they also did a lot of remixes in terms of like the love wanting team
0: yeah, yeah, the remixes are a big bit as well, especially from. Talking to, to you and, and others at Outdistree, for example, the collaborations and remixes can go a long way in increasing regional impact. But they also carry a strong amount of labor cost and resource cost. It's very time intensive, and you really have to develop those relationships.
1: Yeah, and that's where the strength of a media label comes in.
0: Yeah. So as we come to a close on this interview, thank you so much for sharing your insight. And I have one final question that's an open question. And that is, who is an artist that you think people should be listening to if they aren't? I know it's a tough question, but take it however you want. You get a chance to shout out whoever you like.
1: I love, I love them. So I'll start with Adequate Gold. I, I think that is going to be the greatest showman that anybody, you know, and then anybody's going to experience Wonder Banton is coming with a different flavor of Afrobeat Aria Star is a global pop star that is waiting to happen Scales is an Afrobeat legend in terms of like creating you know monumental records so yeah
0: Amazing All right. it's been a true pleasure having you thank you so much and hope to talk next time
1: alright thank you
0: Thanks for listening to Export the Sound.